Obviously, this week, the events on Wednesday have in no small way captured the attention of the country. And one question that I noted kept coming up in various interviews of folks who were interviewed who were there that day at the Capitol was something along the lines of, well, what were we supposed to do? What were we supposed to do? Nobody listened to me, so what was I supposed to do? And I think we can all agree that in its worst form, in its ugliness, in the violence, in the loss of life, that was not the answer. There's one thing I learned from my years living in Washington. I was at a parish where there were actually a number, it was near Langley, so a number of folks who worked in the intelligence industry, not political appointees, just civil servants. And it became shockingly clear to me that there are some people in this world who are truly evil, who never miss an opportunity to try and sow anarchy. And maybe there were some of those there, but that wasn't the majority of people. So the question, well, what were we supposed to do? Something's reached a boiling point. Now, there's a civics answer to that question, and this isn't the place to go into that. It's a long and complicated answer. But almost certainly, in a crowd of that size, there were many, hundreds if not thousands, of Catholics who were there. And as they came to Mass today, they would have heard that second reading. And as you might know, there were three options for the second reading today. I'm sure the choice that St. Joe's made was long before this past week, but maybe it's a sign of God's providence. Because that's a little snapshot of the first letter of John. And the first letter of John is all about John writing to a community that's asking itself, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live as this certainly unique little group, population, struggling to sort out how we fit in? What are we supposed to do? And if you know your history, they were making all kinds of choices. I mean, we just know them as the folks in the first letter of John in our New Testament, but these were real people living in a real society, having to face real questions and challenges, and sometimes that turned to violence, sometimes that turned to getting kicked out, sometimes that turned into welcoming. It eventually turned into us 2,000 years later. But lots of Catholics who were there at the Capitol on Wednesday, were here at Mass today somewhere. And what they heard in this little snapshot is John talking to this community that I just referred to. And there's an extraordinary line there. It was beautifully read, so it was very clear. But John says to them, those who are begotten of God, right? Those who are begotten of God, those who are baptized, those who are in our community, they conquer the world. It's really a fascinating statement. Those who are begotten of God conquer the world. Now, what I wonder, those who were swept up in what happened on Wednesday, when they come to Mass today and they hear that line, what do they think? If they're asking the question, well, what were we supposed to do? What does conquer the world look like? Well, when John wrote that to those people, they had to accept exactly what the closest disciples of Jesus had to accept. Whatever conquer the world means, it doesn't mean topple Caesar. It doesn't mean magically reconstruct society 
so that divisions or marginalized groups are better cared for. It doesn't automatically quell violence and remove those people from society who never miss an opportunity to sow hatred. Whatever conquer the world means, it's not that kind of overnight magical civic power. But if you read the first letter of John, if you put it in context, there's no mystery to what John is saying. What John is saying is that to be begotten of God has one qualification. And we got a little bit of it here, but if you read the whole letter of John, he unpacks it a lot more. To be begotten of God means to follow Jesus' commandments. So don't plug in the Ten Commandments, plug in Jesus' commandments. Love one another as I have loved you. And how have I loved you? Well, no greater love has a man than this than to lay down his life for another. Doesn't mean physical martyrdom necessarily, but self-sacrificial love. And John's saying, if you can do that, and it's hard, but if you can do that, then you conquer the world. Well, what does that mean? Again, if you read the whole letter, what John is saying is then we're not governed by the world. We're not constrained by the world. We're not defined by the world. And what's the world? Well, it's lots of wonderful things, lots of loving people, but it's also at times the anger that comes from injustice. It's the result of bad choices, sometimes people trying to do their best, sometimes people trying to do their worst. And we don't have to take the large global political scale on the very closest level within our families, within our own hearts, to not be governed, to not be defined by perhaps the lowest nature of decisions we make or things that are done to us. And that can sound very Pollyanna-ish. Okay, fine, so you live by Jesus' commandments, but what are you going to do? God wants a just society. That's why it is so wide, that Christian net, right? Just think of everything that went into perhaps some of the actions that were taken on Wednesday. Lots of people have asked the question, well, what about us? Where do we fit into this society? And there are divisions. We are a divided society. That doesn't mean it's okay to break down the walls of the Capitol or to kill somebody. But there are lots of divisions in our country. There are lots of divisions in our church, and we know that. And if it's ignored because we're able to surround ourselves in sort of bubbles where that division doesn't seem to matter, then sooner or later, those cracks bubble up. And as I said, there are civic questions there. There are complicated ones. So the last thing I want to do is stand here and say, oh, you should act like a better Christian, and then everything will work out. But at the spiritual level, within our hearts, what draws us here this morning as we come up for the Eucharist, it's an invitation to say, in the broadest sense, what are my opportunities to love one another as Jesus loves me? What are my opportunities for self-sacrificial love? And think about what it might mean. How do you get healing to widely divided populations? Think about the socioeconomic divisions in our own country let alone in the world. How about our communities? What are the divisions that exist in Libertyville? What are the divisions that exist between Libertyville and Mundelein? Just down one, drive down 176, and then keep going out into the country. 
And there's no simple reason. Oh, these folks are like this and those folks are like that. These friends of Pope Francis are like this. These friends of Pope Benedict are like that. And I'm over there in the seminary, believe me. What might be a little crack in your local parish is the Grand Canyon sometimes, where the holiest folks dwell. And so again, not finger-wagging. That's as much a cop-out as anything else. But to wade into the messiness. What if we wanted to create a society where you didn't have people saying, well, what about us? Who's listened to us? Think about what that would mean. That would cost money. That would cost time. That would cost attention on both sides, on all sides. To get to know the other, to help and support the other, is no small thing. I think it's amazing that the, soup, or the food pantry here at St. Joe's is overflowing. Believe me, there aren't too many parishes in the Archdiocese of Chicago that can say that. But we still know at the end of the day that's a relatively small number of people giving an awful lot. If every single one of us who seemingly conquer the world because we are begotten of God brought one thing, you couldn't build a food pantry large enough to hold it. And so it's just the invitation time and again to say, how can I live out this injunction? How can I live this out to love the person next to me as Jesus loved me, self-sacrificially? What am I shying away from because I don't want to sacrifice? And it's not easy to do that. Last thing I'll just say, last time I was with you, the RCIA folks, that was your rite of welcoming, I'm sure you remember. Maybe some of you were at that Mass. What did we give them? What was their party gift for showing up? It was the cross. If you remember, I said, now you're going to get the instruction manual, and that was the Bible. Anytime you open up one of those instruction manuals, there's always a big box at the front, right? Outlined on the page. I call it the idiot box, because it usually says, read this first. And like if it's a power tool with a power cord or something, usually in that box it says, don't use this in the bathtub. Well, the idiot box in the instruction manual for the cross is what we heard today. It says, hey, stupid Christian, you really can conquer the world if at the most local level you simply do what Jesus has said from day one, what Paul and Peter and John and everyone else has said from day two, what every religion teacher we've ever had, what the RCIA instructors say. Just love one another as Jesus loves us. And that means be prepared to sacrifice. When it gets to the level of what we saw on Wednesday, we can throw up our hands and say, oh my gosh, where do you even begin to start? But we know where it starts. It starts there. We just heard it. And as a spiritual exercise this week, every single one of us will have an opportunity to conquer just a little bit of our world. And that's how it all begins. And so as a beautiful witness to our faith, I'd like to invite forward now our RCA candidates, the catechumens,